Support for To The Point comes from Bausch & Lomb. Beautiful and healthy looking eyes? It shouldn't be a compromise. Lumify Eye Illuminations, developed by the experts at Bausch & Lomb exclusively for the sensitive eye area. To cleanse, nourish, and brighten. Lumify Eye Illuminations, only in the eye care aisle. Ocular surface disease. It's complex, chronic, and progressive, but rife with opportunity for the enterprising optometrist. The mission of this podcast is to make this condition more understandable and accessible to those interested and specializing in it. So let's get to the point. Welcome to another episode of the To The Point podcast. My name is Jackie Garlic, and I am joined by my co-host, Leslie O'Dell, and we are very excited to be talking about point-of-care testing with Dr. Rob Samberski. Dr. Samberski is a practicing board-certified ophthalmologist with fellowship training in refractive surgery and corneal, external, and infectious disease. He earned a BA in biology from Brown University, an MA in medical sciences from Boston University, and his MD from Boston University School of Medicine. Dr. Samberski completed his medical internship at Harvard's Mount Auburn Hospital and both his ophthalmology residency and cornea fellowship at Will's Eye Hospital in Philadelphia. Dr. Samberski has more than 25 years of life science industry and clinical medical experience. He currently serves as the corporate president of Versailles Health and the president of their new Versailles Ophthalmics Division. Prior to joining Versea, Rob was one of the original founders of RPS Diagnostics and led both RPS Diagnostics and Lumos Diagnostics as their president and CEO. In addition, he's a founder and served as executive chair for Visus Therapeutics. We are very excited to be talking with someone who has such an extensive background, in particular in, in point-of-care testing. So thank you so much, Dr. Samberski, for being here. We're so happy to have you and to talk about um, your background and specifically point of care testing and how you got involved with Versailles. Can you give us a little background on that? Well, first, it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for including me on this uh, program. Uh, it's been a, an interesting ride with uh, Versailles. So I have a experience a, as being a cornea specialist and actually many years ago started a company called RPS Diagnostics and brought several point of care tests to market and then ultimately sold off a business unit to Quidel back in 2017. I left eye care for about five years, not as a practicing physician, but from an industry perspective. And then uh, just recently was approached by a couple of companies, one being Axum Biotechnologies, about potentially representing their point of care diagnostic testing system, as well as Versea Health, who had a unique uh, amniotic membrane. And after having discussions with both entities, we figured out a plan to bring them together under Versea Health. And I was offered the opportunity to serve as the president of Versea Health and also to start a new division called Versea Ophthalmics. And that's been in effect since about August of this year. So I'm very excited to come back into the eye care space, leading this new ophthalmic division. That's great. You've been so you've been doing point of care testing or involved with point of care testing for a long time. I remember RPS being uh, getting one of those as a student and thinking like this looks exactly like a pregnancy test. And I, you know, I, this is like probably 2010, I guess this was. So yeah, that's that's great. You have a wealth of knowledge in this department. <laughs> Well, it's been uh, 
a labor of love. Let's just say that, you know, <laughs> had the idea when I was a resident and was able to actually get first product approved back in 2006 and then gradually brought several other products to market. That is really an exciting kind of story um, just to think of what you thought of as an unmet need when you were in your residency and then to actually see it come to life and um, now the journey with this new company. Uh, so I had the pleasure of, of speaking with you and, and some of your team recently at Academy um, this year. And what really, you know, what's really interesting to me is just how robust the tear film is, how many enzymes and proteins and, you know, how unique this is and, and how we're only really just at the beginning of understanding what we can learn from tear sampling and point of care testing. Um, you know, with the current, what, what I have currently been doing um, with hyper, you know, osmolarity testing and inflammatory um, or MMP9 testing. And then, you know, what I'll soon be able to add to what I'm doing, um, thanks to Versaia with um, the lactoferrin and IgE um, also as point of care tests. I'm really excited to see how that's going to open up some, you know, maybe diagnostic challenges that I've had with certain patients. But I'm, I'm really excited for you to share with Jackie and everybody else um, about what you have with other point of care tests, um, especially lactoferrin and the IgE? So what we're really excited about is a platform. So with Versea, we have really invested in bringing in a technology that allows us to do all kinds of tier-based testing and create a rapid quantitative response within about six or seven minutes. And the idea is, as you mentioned, there are many proteins within the tear film. We're starting off looking at lactoferrin as a surrogate marker for aqueous deficient dry eye and also for IgE, which is a marker that is consistent with allergic conjunctivitis. And that's just the start. Those products happen to be FDA cleared. It's where we're initially launching, but the actual reader that does the quantification is universal to any of the products that we bring forward. And so we're in the process of working on an MMP9 test. It would be the first quantitative MMP9 test. And then we have an entire idea or pipeline for infectious disease related products that we're entertaining at this time. That's a that's a huge, um, that's, a, that's a big lift. That's a lot, <laughs> a lot of, uh, a diagnostic information, which I think once you start really treating dry eye, you realize how deep that actually can get and how um, wonderful it is to have something like this that's very, can give you more specific data. Do you use, can you talk a little bit about how you might use, how you use or how you might use point of care testing in your office? And is this something that you do on all of your patients? I mean, you're a cornea specialist, so I imagine you see quite a bit of that but can you maybe talk about your experience with that? Sure. So I think point of care testing has been slow to adopt in the eye care space relative to other conditions. If you think about family practice, urgent care, ER medicine, they're looking for hemoglobin A1C, they're looking at glucose levels, they're looking at infectious disease, because ultimately it comes down to personalized medicine for that particular patient. And from my perspective, the key is you want to test 
when you can impact clinical management or therapeutic decisions can be made off those results. And that is the most important element for any point of care test. It's great if they're fast, it's great if they can provide information, but if that information can change the management of the patient, then to me, it's really a worthwhile process. Many times when we look at dry eye, you know, dry eye is one of these interesting conditions that has a multifactorial, you know, process, and that makes it somewhat complex. And yet it is such a common disease. And if you think about it, you have 20 to 30 million people that are diagnosed, many that are undiagnosed. And then we're in a position where about 37% of them actually fail most of the therapies. So some of that failure is because we don't really know how to manage the patients correctly because we don't necessarily have an algorithmic process to, to follow that may optimize the approach. So to just sort of bring this full circle, if you look at, let's say, for instance, lactoferrin, here's a great example of a protein that is a surrogate for the activity of the lacrimal gland. So the primary proteins in the lacrimal gland are lysozyme and lactoferrin. So if you have a low lactoferrin, it's highly suggestive that you have an aqueous deficient state. And so that is a quantitative result that you can get with a six minute test. And if you use a cutoff level of 0.9 micrograms per ml, then you know that if you're below that, you have a very high likelihood that you're aqueous deficient. If you're above that, then you know it's less likely. And if you're really above 1.2, the likelihood of you having aqueous deficiency is very low. At the same time, if you look at things that mimic dry eye, about 18% of patients that have a mild allergy can present identically to dry eye. And many times the treatment is different. And ultimately, if you knew by looking at an IgE level, whether you had a mixed uh, allergy and dry eye or just an allergy, you'd manage those patients in a completely different way. And so if someone were to walk into my office with symptoms of dry eye and they performed some form of a survey like this a speed survey or uh, something derived from any one of the other surveys and they had symptoms of dry eye, then I think the ideal approach would be to look at IgE and to look at something like lactoferrin because in my opinion, if you found that someone had a low lactoferrin and then you could subsequently test for inflammation, it would change your decision. A low lactoferrin with a low level of, let's call it MMP9, then you would be identifying a perfect person for a punctal plug. If somebody had a low lactoferrin and a high inflammation, then an immunomodulator would be your first choice. If you found someone had IgE, then maybe you would go the route of an antihistamine, or maybe if they looked rather severe, a steroid might be an initial trial, at least as a therapeutic, assuming it was an acute case of an allergy. In a perennial state, it might be more beneficial to the patient not to be on long-term steroids than you would try an immunomodulator. But it guides that initial uh, contact with the patient. Similarly, if the lactoferrin 
were to be normal, then you would move in the direction of evaporative right away. And that might take you in the direction of LipaFlow or IPL, or maybe just some simple measures like lid hygiene and omega-3 fatty acids. Well, you better watch out because it sounds like you actually might be helping to simplify dry eye. <laughs> well, if you, if you think about it, if you approached anemia by looking at the fingernail bed and trying to decide what level of hematocrit was there, we wouldn't really get very far. If you actually have a quantitative number and say, hey, look, we did this finger stick, this is what your blood levels are, you can initiate care. So I hope that a six-minute test that uses one microliter of tears will actually simplify the process and give you useful information. And you'll hear the theme that will change clinical management and therapeutic decisions. Because to me, that's what it's all about. It improves patient care. It, th that sounds amazing. I mean, it, it does improve patient care, but it also, Leslie, like you said, it really simplifies it and takes some of this mystery out of these dry eye patients that aren't responding or we're seeing them for all these extra follow-ups and we could be shortening that by giving this more personalized care and personalized medicine. Where where are you in the in the um, process of the point of care testing? Like I know this is newer, right? This is not available yet. It is technically available now. We're actually in the process of signing people up to have an initial launch, which was uh, planned for January. We changed the configuration of the test just slightly to make it a little bit easier to use. And we thought that having that new format in place would lead to the best adoption. So when I think about what, I'm putting my cornea specialist hat on here when I answer this question, but, you know, I want to have the most efficient process so that we can get to the results quickly and accurately. So at least in my practice, that means that I want the technicians to be able to run that test. And so we've created a method where you're taking one microliter of tears, you're using capillary action in a micropipette, and then you can transfer that directly onto the test strip drip a couple of drops of uh, buffer solution and it activates the test very analogously to a COVID test. And now so many people are used to using that type of platform. We're really leveraging that. And then you would take the device and put it inside a reader. It incubates for six minutes in the reader and sort of in that six to eight minute time frame, you get a result. So to me, that's efficient because when I walk into the room, I can actually have a number I can make my decisions based on that number. And then the key is we can follow the therapeutic response. So when I initiate care, I don't like to do a shotgun approach. I like to pick one thing, make a change, see the impact. And what's been challenging in the past, and you know, I was one of the co-creators of Inflamadry, and I think it's a fantastic test. The issue is it's qualitative. So imagine that if you had a medication that had a profound impact on reducing inflammation, oftentimes you can't realize that change because it's above the threshold for abnormal. So just to make up numbers, if someone had MMP9 levels of 200 and the drug reduced it in half, you would call that a great drug. But if the test itself stayed positive and you couldn't decipher that change, you might not think the drug was actually doing anything. Having a quantitative 
approach, you'd be able to say, hey, look, this brought you down 50%. We need to add something to this or maybe increase the frequency of dosing of something like Restasis. And so ultimately, I think it's going to really change the way we approach patients and we'll be able to explain, provide tangible evidence of what the treatment process is. Because as you know, patients oftentimes will you know, not necessarily buy into the approach if they can't follow it. And if there's a way to demonstrate evidence to them and actually follow numbers like a hemoglobin A1C with a diabetic, blood pressure with just about everybody, and you can track that down, you're going to get more buy-in and more compliance. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And that's what I'm really excited to see is this quantitative quantitative MMP9, because I've often been thinking about the additive medications, you know, for my dry eye patients, much like you would a glaucoma patient, you are trying to achieve that target pressure. And sometimes if one medicine isn't getting you there, instead of giving up on the whole class, you'll add to it. So it makes a lot of sense to have that approach as well with dry eye. And I think when you can have something tangible and talk through it with the patient, it really helps them understand why maybe they're not yet feeling better. But then you help them, you know, stay committed to treatment because you show them, well, this is getting better and hang in there or let's modify some things. We'll get you to symptom improvement eventually. But a lot of times, you know, I just had a a patient that's sticking out in my mind that my conversation with him really helped. He was failure to all of the um, immunomodulators available right now, but failure was he didn't think they were working. And so my first conversation with him was, okay, well, these are the measurements that I have right now that we're going to be looking at to see if it's getting better or not. And by the tests I have today, you know, it makes sense that you would have been put on something. I think, you know, let's choose the lesser of the evils, which one felt most comfortable to you, because at this point, I don't care what you're on, you know, cyclosporin or lipidograss. Um, And you know what he's, and, and they often just think like, oh, this doesn't feel like my tear. But if the doctor doesn't explain to them, you know, my conversation with him was, this isn't a tear, it's not intended to feel like a tear, it's actually trying to change your your body's um, natural tear to be a healthier tear, and by doing so, eventually we'll be able to make your ocular surface healthier. And then he said, you know, then he said, well, now that makes a whole lot more sense you know, so sometimes maybe it just helps the doctor have a better conversation, which then does exactly what you're saying, changes our management and hopefully, you know, improves adherence. And and then we can actually do a better job rehabbing um, the surface for these patients. So I would even add to what you just said and say that sometimes when a medication like an immunomodulator takes time to improve, people tend to have a short-term memory. So when they compare, they compare to the last day or two, not to four weeks ago and how they were when they were in your office. And then you have to read back their chief complaint from that day and say, geez, you came in complaining of all of these, or this was your survey that you came in, your questionnaire, this is what it actually read four weeks ago. And they just can't recollect it. They're They're staying within their, let's say two or three day window. So again, I think having numbers to be able to quantify and follow and monitor really has a big impact on patient buy-in 
and also therapeutic management. Do you need to add anything? Are we good where we are? And sometimes there's just a psychological benefit to the patient to just feeling like they're seeing okay or that they're doing all right. How many 2020 patients do you have that come in that say they can't see? And when you reassure them, they feel a lot better. Yeah, that's like, I have found that with patients as well, Rob, like that patients will, even if they're unsure if they're feeling better and you look and say, oh, well, this this is actually better. Your tear breakup time as much is like improved. They'll be like, oh, good, good. You know, like I think they just want their, you know, dryness fluctuates, can fluctuate so much throughout from day to day throughout the day. And so um, having actual data points to give a patient is huge. I mean, we like microns with our OCT. So why not have something like that, that uh, we can use for dry eye? Uh, do you, can you talk a little bit about the amniotic membrane too that uh, Versaia has? Sure. And I actually want to link it to dry eye since that's the theme of this podcast. So if you actually think about ocular surface disease and dry eye being really one of the more common causes of ocular surface disease itself, and you say to yourself, how many people actually have stage three or four dry eye with chronic staining or filaments, or they're just not seeing well because they have a low tear breakup time, you know, historically low Shermers. It's a large number of the patients, about 7 million out of the 20 million. And those patients are much more likely to have fouled lefitigras or cyclosporin or lid hygiene, tears, and you know potentially plugs because uh, in my opinion, plugs work best when there isn't a big inflammatory milieu that's gonna lead to pooling of what I call dirty bathwater. So ultimately you reach a point where there's a large number of people that would benefit from more aggressive therapy, whether that's serum tears or, in my opinion, an amniotic membrane. And from an amniotic membrane perspective, historically, there's only been really two discrete choices, a cryopreserved, which is, you know, got its benefits, and then the classic dehydrated membrane. And what we have is something that's kind of a a modification or a hybrid. And it's really different in the sense that it's three layers of amnion basement membrane. And basement membrane is the true scaffold that carries the fibronectin and laminin and really provides the key elements for healing. In addition to that, because it's three layers, it's very easy to manipulate. Doesn't require a ring, sits right on place. And ultimately, it's bi-directional. You don't have to worry which side is down or up. And it also has the advantages of a classic dehydrated membrane in that it's room temperature storage. It's something that has a 10-year shelf life. And so it's very easy to use. And that difference, I think, really makes it a first-line option that patients are going to benefit from because Ultimately, what we've been able to demonstrate in a recent publication that just came out is that the critical criteria for healing is the adhesion of cells to a membrane. That's what triggers cytokines and hormones to actually get released and growth factors and things like that. And so what we've been able to show is that when you look at cell viability, 
You look at cell adhesion, that then triggers proliferation and an overall cellular response. And you can imagine healing the dry eye patches in a head-to-head, let's call it biochemical or immunochemistry analysis against a cryopreserved in a classic dehydrated membrane, the BioVance, which is the sort of innovative approach that we have really performed the best across the board. And we think of it as novel because we all thought or trained that if you could have a whole bunch of growth factors come in right away and actually have an an impact immediately, that that might be more beneficial. And since the BioVance is decellular, we don't even have those cells. But what we do is we provide the optimal environment for the recipient's own cells to populate the graft. And once it populates the graft, it actually triggers all of those cytokines and all those hormones and all the other growth factors that leads to a very organized response and very consistent healing over several days. That makes it extremely unique. And this is like fit just like a regular dehydrated with the contact bandage contact lens on top, right? Yes. So it uses the contact lens. We recommend putting, you know, a little anesthetic in the eye, maybe an antibiotic drop. You dry the cornea, put the membrane on, and unlike a classic dehydrated that tends to fold up. I actually think Leslie made a a description of how some of the the membranes can just sort of curl up on themselves from the heat of the eye. You don't have that with our 3L BioVance. It just sits right on. And once it sits, it stays. So then we advise putting either an antibiotic or some sort of a tear right onto the graft, put the contact lens over it, and then I usually go ahead and put another drop of either an antibiotic or an artificial tear. I think the only issue is these people have pretty dry eyes. Contacts are uncomfortable for them in the first place, so I ask them to keep it lubricated over the next three or four days, five days, until I take it off. So um, I actually was able to place my first... um, membrane this uh, three-layer membrane by biovance so that's what it's that's what it's called biovance yeah the biovance 3l yeah. right. i called it 3l that's why i was like wait what's the that's brand good. name but um <laughs> so i have this patient that she's actually been through two rounds of oxervate she's had multiple membranes over her time both cryopreserved and single layers and so she to me was a perfect person for me to try it out on um, and then I did a little bit of the uncon- unconventional approach with her, which I learned um, also during Academy this year, which was I bandaged, um, I did like a bandage, like a pressure patch bandage on her and her eye was just closed for two days and she removed it all um, before I saw her again. But I'm telling you her cornea was perfect. I mean, she went from three plus inferior keratitis to nothing. Um, so I'm really excited about that. Oh, that's fantastic. I would love to see a case study I did, history. I, did, of that. I got really some fantastic. really good before and after photos for you. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I look forward to seeing those. That's amazing. Yeah. And um, you, you know, with this membrane, Jackie, just like he was saying, it's it almost looks like quilted. Um, I guess it's the way the different layers are connected to one another. Um, it placed very easily. I can, 
I think a bandage lens would be fine over top, but this, you know, patching really worked well for this patient in particular, um, mostly because sometimes I have patients that are driving from a distance to see me. Um, and then it's, instead of me having to see them two times in a week, they can remove the, the bandage, uh, not bandage lens, but just more of like a pressure patch. And, and then I see them the next week um, to follow up. So I think that makes perfect sense. There's a paper that will be coming out in cornea if it hasn't already done so. It was presented at Arvo and it's based on pterygium surgery. And I'm just mentioning it as an analogy. In this particular case, Dr. Diaz out of Yale was able to tease off the pterygium, remove it as he normally would. He applied the mitomycin C, dried the bed, and then just put the three layer directly onto the surface without glue, without sutures, and he patched the patient. And really the way the 3L works is it adheres so well that after about 24 to 48 hours, it's relatively adherent. And so at that point, you just remove the patch on the eye, which is all he did, and it was in place until it ran its course. So what you did for the cornea is perfect. So I think you really have two choices. You can go the route of the bandage contact lens if someone doesn't want to have their eye taped closed for 24 to 48 hours, or you, uh, you just feel like they're just better candidates for that. But that makes great sense to me, and it's analogous to how people are managing pterygium surgery. So if someone wants one of our, if any of our listeners want to learn more or buy, you know, try out this membrane themselves or any of the point of care testing, what's the best way for them to do that? So they can just go visit us at versea.com and there's a, an ophthalmic link right on that website. And certainly we'd be happy to, uh, you know, talk to you, figure out what your needs are, whether it's for the tier-based diagnostic assays or for the uh, BioVance amniotic membrane. That's great. Well, Rob, this was a really great um, talk about point of care testing. I think this was a really well done overview on how you can really use that in your dry eye practice and really grow and better specialize and better treat your patients with point of care testing and even the amniotic membrane, the 3L. So thank you so much for being here and educating us and all of our listeners. Uh, thanks for your time. Well, I really appreciate the chance to speak with you. I enjoyed it. And now for the to the point wrap up. Remember the tear film and the tears are so complex harboring about 1,500 different proteins and enzymes that protect the ocular surface. We're just at the beginning of understanding these proteins and helping them guide our treatments. We learned today about new point-of-care testing with measuring lactoferrin to determine how well the lacrimal gland is working, as well as IgE to really be able to test for allergy. And you can see how these point of care tests combined with what we already have with osmolarity and MMP9 will really change treatment plans moving forward. 